we go. It's so great to be here today with Magnus Gotestad of the wonderful YouTube channel, Beauty and the Faith. And uh, Magnus is has two big projects that he's working on, and I'm going to let him tell you about those, but they have to do with renewing the world. And uh, But I heard Magnus's life story, and I just thought it was so fascinating. We, we usually start with the story here. So Magnus, I was wondering if you could tell us about kind of how you grew up and how you got to this place that you're at today and and maybe why the title of your channel is Beauty and the Faith. Well, that would be my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on here, Karen. It's a great privilege. Uh, growing up, uh, what I can really remember from my my early days is that I'm, I had a great fear of death. And I can uh, remember that I was very uncomfortable even into my teens to uh, just be alone with myself. I grew up in a, a atheist home, a quite radical home, and there was no room for spiritual discussion. And I didn't really know who to go to with that. So uh, over time, I, I I guess I just kept on um, running from myself, running from this this thought of the eternity, which just never stops and just never stops. And that, that thought just drove him, me mad, really. And so if you had seen me in my, you know, late teens, I would have uh, tie boxing equipment in one hand and I would have my skateboard in the other and I would have my guitar on my back and uh, I was planning to meet my girlfriend at nine. And most days was like that for me. I was very much wanting to do things all the time and um, having such a restlessness of, uh, led of course also to a lot of partying to deal with that over time he got into drugs and um, uh, really it, it really came to a a crisis in the beginning of my 10, 20s where i started to to feel that um, that life just seems very meaningless so um, chasing women chasing pleasure chasing popularity and all of these things which i did in a very unconscious way i remember i, I you know, it, it took me about, you know, 22 or 23 years old before I ever said, wow, there's something called the moment. And and I remember it was almost like a pre-conversion to my spiritual path that I looked around the room and I say, this is the first time I like I'm conscious and I can observe my thoughts properly. And I'm like, I, it was almost like an awakening. Uh, but um, that would happen a little bit later because when I had that uh, that 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 crisis of meaning. I um I I remember I was sitting at one party. I was high. I was drunk, and I was just asking myself, "Is really this all there is to life?" At that time, I had been, you know, had a lot of quite of success. Uh, you could say in different areas, but I just never found any peace of mind. I would say, uh, and um, I could also see, of course, my the friends around me very like. More, quite radical environment around me how they gradually was deteriorating and being very lost and many got to harder drugs I, I kept it more on the light side um, and that time I isolated I isolated myself from the world I, I moved to a city and for the first time in my life I started to just face my fears so I, uh, I, I was in this room in the day I worked at this storage house and I just started to listening to podcasts and, and audiobooks and just tried to to learn something because throughout school I was was so hard for me to learn in school I was like playing PlayStation under my desk or I was sleeping or 
you know, it was just so hard for me to, to go through that. But but really, I always like loved exploring and learning, but it was just I, I never really found a path or a purpose in my life uh, or somebody who kind of said, you know, here's a vision or here's some principles. Everything was about, you know, freedom, freedom, freedom. And there's such a, a kind of a slavery in that, actually. But um, now I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm in Oslo in a new city and capital of Norway. And I'm uh, um, just trying to figure out things. And as that happening, all kinds of suppressed anger and everything comes up. And I remember sometimes when things come up, just hitting pillows and going all crazy in there. And uh, at you know, after a few months, I, I probably had 100 post-it notes over all the walls. My, my father saw a video and he was both inspired and I guess a little frightened of what's happening with my son here. But uh, I guess he was uh, uh, glad that something was was happening. Um, had a kind of a bit of a strange uh, messages because he's an atheist, doctor in biology, scientist man that divorced my mother when, when they were two. And my mother is more the type of hardcore feminist teacher, type of working for the government type of personality. So it's quite a, a interesting, a different messages I got growing up, but, you know, but none of these paths really has any spiritual depths to it. So I, I thought, you know, I'm going to really achieve something. I'm going to do something with my life. You know, I had, you know, been quite a good skateboarder but really other than that i was a i, I would say a relatively looser when it comes to really achieving something with my life so now i started uh, learning music and i you know i'm going to really achieve something here and and i actually worked very hard for a couple of years uh, and uh, i i also went to san francisco and that is one of the beginnings of my life completely starting to change in, in a very very uh, transformative way because at that time, you just imagine me long hair, tight jeans, kind of going to a community college in San Francisco, wanting to be a rock star or something like that. And then it was all of these courses uh, there. And uh, I go into uh, a course called Musical Appreciation, which was called Listening to Western Music. And in there, through education and through training my ear and learning history of the West, it was like... I, you know, at that time I was looking to black metal basically and, you know, or some rap and going from that and suddenly it was like, whoa, this is the most powerful, you know, this is the power I've been seeking through the most hardcore of everything, right? And more and more, I, I remember I was able to take in more details and layer of music at the same time because I was focusing on one thing at a time. And then really something started to change in me. I remember when I, you know, after a few weeks of that course, when I walked into the streets, I started to look up and I started to noticing some patterns around me of of some of the that beauty and order I seen in the music, also in the architecture. And then I I saw I wanted to go and and also see more of this because that power was like oh that's that's like the missing is this the missing piece that I've always been looking for? You know that that power felt. It was could finally take me out of that type of flattening of living in in the world, which was felt like such a a slavery. Where wherever I go, I just ended up with the same meaningless type of you know uh, uh, kind of a whatever comes up comes down kind of type of a thing. It was wasn't I didn't have a sense of it was a, like a, possible to step above that and 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 grow beyond that. And um, so 
what happened? I practiced so much guitar that I got this ten. Uh, this I hurt both my hands, so I couldn't play guitar anymore. I couldn't write on my exam and nothing. So I just had to drop out of school. And then I came back to Norway, and there, you know, I couldn't play guitar anymore. And now my life seemed really meaningless because I spent three years. This is the purpose of my life: is to become a great musician and everything. But still, I had that seed in me that really I was seeking more now this this beauty than this type of rush of being like uh, successful through music or being recognized or just expressing myself or something like that. And I was walking around in my, you know, relatively modernistic um, Norwegian Scandinavian society and was looking for that those experiences. And I went into a classical concert hall and I was almost sleeping. It was like, this was not what I was looking for. This was not what I have learned there. And uh, where did I go? Well, that took me to the church. So because in church, I got that. Now I stepped out of the world. Now I, you know, this doesn't remind me of my old life and drags me back there and helps me to put me in this type of a new identity. So I didn't want to be kind of that bad boy anymore. I didn't think it was cool anymore to be like so dominating and all of that. I wanted to be a gentleman. It it, it changed how that my self-image and my values, my inner values, I wanted to kind of, because it's easy to just be like bad and kind of like this radical, that's just a natural way. But to have self-control and, you know, try to talk in the other person's interest and walk with style and be pleasing in other people's sight and, and achieve things that are difficult, you know, that was kind of, oh, wow, that is much, much bigger challenge. Wow, that is a real man. Uh, so, in combination with the the classical tradition of beauty and virtue and all of these things, which took me out of and, and transcended my world, I also now started to see in the church, which gave me this uh, stepping into another uh, level of consciousness, another way of being. Uh, and and when I was in there, I was just sitting listening to to Bach, and and the word didn't give any sense to me. The Bible was just like. At that time, I was doing transcendental meditation, and, and I was like uh, living in the power of now by Eckhart Tolle, and I thought that everything Jesus said was just a way to really live in the kingdom, which was to, to live in the present moment. I, I couldn't comprehend the thing about faith, that, that there's actually something as faith, which uh, is it, beyond this uh, just waking up to the present living and finding peace of mind, because that was the thing. I had been doing these new age practices you know, along with my uh, overachieving obsession and Tony Robbins and all of that type of a stuff. Uh, and then, but I found peace, but I didn't find like the, the, the joy. And I must say being in like in all kinds of communities around the world, you know, being with people who meditate, doing yoga, uh, you know, being with rockers, skateboarders, you know, I've been like the kind of the guy that, was one of the most popular at school and knew everybody knew me, but I had nobody really close to me. It was like that all, all through my uh, growing up. Um, so I'd seen a lot of people, but there was something special about Christians. I, I remember many images of Christians where I saw in their eyes that there was a certain glow there that I especially saw in those who were Christian. It's kind of like this, you know, this, this life isn't that serious you know kind of like this just this unconditional joy uh that wasn't based on what was happening but just this and i remember i saw that in church and i was like over time i first heard a message that was uh, the sin is yours 
And for somebody with a very like anger problem and everything like that, no, no, it was never me, right? It was always other people. So <laughs> it was. Like, I remember that week uh, after that that preaching, like I, I didn't quite understand the Bible, but that message of yes, when you're angry at somebody else, you know they might do something which is bad or you know immoral, but at that moment when you are like observing that and judging that and are being angry at that, then at the same time you're also sinning inside. So you you first you need to to go in there and observe that and take responsibility of that and then you know if it's still necessary then you can help other people you know Jesus talking about this uh, very famous uh, parable and um, I remember I started to feel more and more convicted that week that there was an ongoing kind of a destructiveness in me that wanted to kind of tear people down that was leading me into destruction as well and I got more and more convicted of that so. And I, I think, I don't know how many Sundays it went. You know, I went there alone. There's not a single Christian in my family uh, that I'm aware of. But I, I went there alone. And um, there was another message was that God first calls you. It's like, it's not like you need to like, oh, just knock, knock, knock in. Okay, okay, uh, save me out of this. It's kind of like he first calls us. He meets us like, and that in my 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 mind, in my in the way I've been taught in the modern Norwegian world to think, that didn't make, make any sense because now I was so convicted of how many I've hurt and how, how much I was hurting people regularly. And then at the same time, this God, like, I got, I just got very touched that something like that was possible. And I remember sitting in, in the church there and I got this overwhelming sense of love when I when I realized who God was. And um and I re I remember saying to myself this is the first time where I really feel safe. And that was actually the first word for me that was, I feel so safe now. It was almost like like somebody was holding around me in, in a sense. It was like a, pers a personal safety of somebody watching out for you. And then my next thought was, this is real love. And you know, we have so much talk today about what is love. Many think it's a feeling, but really it's a responsibility. But from that moment, something really started to change. Because you can always act in a way and fake it till you make it with uh, ideals and reach for ideals. But in my experience, there was, there is something fundamental in you that needs to change, to change your desires, to truly be renewed as a person and i don't know if i got saved that day or if that was because i had a lot of struggle after that also going back and forth and it was a long journey into many churches i was a freemason for two years i was a mormon for 18 months i moved to i i closed my whole music school that i created with 40 students in an old big bank building in norway to go to to uh to Barcelona where I went into a Hebrew roots movement for a year and 
I couldn't, uh, I didn't eat pork and I, I, I kept the Shabbat and I went to Israel and got baptized in the Jordan River. Maybe as you understand, Karen, I like to do things 100%. Um, and that's also where I met my wife. And she's from, uh, she's a doctor from uh, South America, from Ecuador, just a wonderful, aspiring woman. And, and she's, uh, yeah, she was like a real serious Christian. And when I met her, it was, that was the next level for me in, in uh, really uh, getting, uh, getting past this synergy of worldliness. Uh, it doesn't mean to just go out of the world, but it, but it really means to, to have spiritual discipline and to really be very careful about the the heart and following the heart because it has it's full of deception and really try to live off you know more uh, principles in life you know and uh, that was also just a wonderful graceful blessing by the Lord and he um, we are now been married for five years and uh, we live in Spain so a lot of things have happened and I got so inspired also when I started reading the the Bible more that I am now at the last year on um, my bachelor in uh, theology and leadership. And as part of that mission uh, of, I, I really believe that there is a, a huge error that's been done in the Protestant evangelical tradition of, uh, of neglecting so much of the potential of beauty. Because I think in a post-enlightenment society in the West, I think that so much of those enlightenment thoughts have been crept in even in many of the conservative fundamental churches um, that we have been focusing so much on reason that we have reduced down we have reduced down really um, what we are to do if we look at the whole counsel of God and the whole character of God uh, so that is one thing that we need to think more holistically about this and but the other thing is that so often people start with uh, apologetics. They kind of want to give you the truth bomb. They want that in-your-face type of repent and believe. Uh, and for some, I'm sure that this, you know, it needs to click logically. But th there wouldn't be a, the best, I don't think the best apologetic in the world could have used logic on me and, and convinced me about the cross and all of those things. I would have found a creative way. I'm a very creative guy. I would have found a lot of creative way to keep on sinning. Um, and even goodness, I remember I had a very, uh, you know, my my nanny when I was a, ch a child, sometimes we had like a nanny in the street and she was a Christian. And I remember she was different from many others. And so, but her goodness, and I, I remember many Christians, you know, being particularly sacrificial. And But that goodness didn't put coal on my conscience and say, you know, here is something, why I don't deserve this and this led me. So for me, it really was beauty. It was beauty that led me to faith. So that is why I have this show called Beauty and the Faith, because I really want to explore. I bring Catholics on here. I bring secular conservatives. I bring uh, philosophers, metaphysicians, Christians of Reformed tradition, of more modern traditions. I bring on a lot of people to really talk about, in general, just in terms of love, um, what would more beauty lead to? Would it lead to more environmental stewardship? Would it lead to uh, more uh, aspirations uh, so that will help moral character? Uh, could it lead to a more vital spiritual life if we have more beauty around us that, that keeps us more present so we can more easily have our mind on Jesus, on God, so we can stay present and not go into the insanity of the flesh? So 
so I want to explore this uh, and, and make it but also a, an opening uh, so people can explore these options. Uh, and I think that there are so many that, especially artists, creatives, this group that we have, we have not been able to reach many of these. And these are such important voices in society. The media and the artist has almost become icons in this time we're living in. So if there's anybody that can have a massive impact to bring people into uh, spiritual joy and, and salvation, I think they will be, you know, the artist has a great potential right now to, um, um, to bring back wonder and help people to wonder about the deeper things of life. And then, then they can be convicted by the goodness of our actions. And then, you know, they might say, oh, I really hope that this is true. And then you might, you can help them with opening the Bible and, and, and show very convincing evidence. So, uh, so it is these art centers we're building online and also. Well, okay. Let's know, hold off on your projects there for a second. Cause I want to explore a few of the ideas that you brought up while you were talking. Um <clears throat> That was very interesting that it was a music appreciation class that began to kind of wake you up. Um, and I've been a Christian for 40, for 40 years, I guess, a little over 40 years. But I started painting 25 years ago. Is that right? Yeah, about 25 years ago. And um, when I first started painting, I was just doing simple little watercolors. But then I started taking a class in creativity and that really got me digging deeper into where, where do these principles of beauty come from and how do you create something beautiful? But that also kind of led me into more of an appreciation of complexity. You know, you were before that, I always liked little village scenes and flower pots and things like that. But then I began to see that there can be a lot of, deep beauty in very complex, painful things. Mm. And uh, that changed my whole approach to music as well. Because before that, I only liked simple little ditties. And then after that, all of a sudden, the world just opened up, not only to classical music, but to jazz and to some, um, some very kind of weird atonal disharmonious music but but i could see that in the midst of that complexity there were moments of beauty that that kind of arose out of that and so i thought it was just really interesting how you talked about how you got this music appreciation thing and then you went out in the world and you started to see all the patterns and and it worked exactly the same way for me but my inroad was through this study of the principles of beauty and creativity that opened up my life to all these patterns, both in music and out in um, in the world. So, yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting when you um, when you have a change of kind of you some will call it preference, and sometimes I think true beauty is something that really transforms you. There is something called a subjective experience, but true beauty does something to you. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, and that is uh, very powerful. And uh, and few can resist that. You have to really have a deep level of unconsciousness if you're not touched by tr true beauty. Mm -hmm. Well, and you were talking also about how you're hoping to reach artists um, who, who currently don't have a faith or don't even recognize that faith is possible but one of the things the struggles that i see out there right now is like 
so many of the museums and galleries and opportunities where an artist might uh, have an opportunity to exhibit their art are pulling artists towards ugliness and pulling them towards political propagandizing through their art and are pulling them into this arena where whatever, if you can make the weirdest thing or the thing that's never been done before, rather than drawing them towards classically beautiful um, art. So a lot of artists might start out with an intent to create something beautiful, but then in order to be you know, accepted, they have to move towards this edginess and this dark place. So it seems like the movement of art today is all towards this dark. Well, I mean, there are some classical schools starting up again, but, but, um, so have you run into that? Yes, yes, for sure. I, uh, actually, uh, just last summer, I was back in Norway visiting my mother and, uh, she took me to a modern art gallery. And after about one hour, I was so disgusted uh, that I said, I asked if we could leave. And then I just thanked her and say, thank you. Now I love the world a little bit less. So it's easier to love God. Uh, <laughs> and then, but that was really hard. It was like, it was stones on the, on the floor saying like capitalist pig, capitalist pig. And there was like movies of peaking, people like saying, Whoa, and it was like this. Ex and it was just so depressing and so extremely dark and I can I can go I was in Barcelona recently at the National Museum there and you're seeing you know martyrs being tortured to death mm -hmm. but I, but it it gives me bad news but it doesn't leave me there and that I think is one of the big differences when you don't have uh, art that reflects timelessness uh, that is it, it gives you bad news and then it doesn't give you hope and so you know even the cross is a horrible you know, thinking about Jesus being on the cross and being tortured and humiliated like that is just one of the most horrible scenes you can imagine. But still, it can be greatly, um, yeah, greatly, greatly inspiring seeing great art like that. And that is what also beauty can do. You know, a sad song, you can cry and at the same time, you're full with joy as the tears run down your face. And that is uh, a dimension that modernism, I believe, has rejected. And then in a very... Um, yeah. almost like in a desperate attempt to uh, to to grab you, uh, they need to go to the aesthetics of pain and terror instead of the aesthetics of pleasure. And so I think that uh, that's what's happening both in in architecture, in the arts, in music, is that uh, you can go to the other side and still create intellectual and and emotional, um, uh, you know, art that cap that captivates you. Uh, but without without the, the spiritual dimension, it's very easy that it just becomes prettiness when you make beauty. It's just it becomes very superficial. And I think many have, uh, um, you know, it becomes cliche. It's become almost like um, it becomes almost just uh, like a fantasy world that you cannot really relate to. Right. So there needs to there's a room for ugliness as well in, in, in great piece of music. There needs to be contrast. There needs to be conflict of we need we need, you know, why is there evil in the world? Well, it's because we, then we can know what is good. Right. It, it's there needs to be both of these dynamics. 
But the classical tradition, here we have wisdom from several thousands of years, which has shown us how we can balance, uh, um, uh, balance these points to elevate and to really transcend reality. And, uh, and, and you know, human nature hasn't changed since uh, the old philosophers or since the early Christians. We're still dealing with the same nature and it's just uh, in different shapes and forms. And I think now it's really time to have a revival of these classical values. And it's also time for Christians to understand that if we are serving a timeless God, that you want to take people out of the, the time and the, the drifting and being lost in the world, if we then can use some of these elements that create that sense of timelessness and uh, above the the world type of thinking um then we have a great deal to learn from each other the classical environment have a lot to learn from christian and spirituality uh, and then also the church has a lot to learn from uh, from those who are making beauty and have very deep transformative experiences with that and i think that's something that we have quite lost and and i think many people are recognizing that these days there are movements all over the world in all forms of society that are shouting out for more beauty they are very hungry for it so um one of the other things you talked about that i thought was really interesting was you're kind of traversing through so many different spiritual trajectories trying to find the place where you could you could find home in your church yeah. Yeah. and uh you know, you did a little of this, a little of that, a little of this other thing. <laughs> um, has that been part of your your kind of pre-Christ personality that you would just dive into something wholeheartedly and then change course like a year later and dive into something else wholeheartedly? Was, was um, Well, I'll tell you what. One of the reasons I'm asking is I, I was trying to do a little research on you so I would know how to introduce you properly. And I ran into an old YouTube video that you had done um, reviewing a guitar teaching course. <laughs> you had uh, taken some sort of online guitar course early, early on. And so there's you doing this little review and you've got long hair. You're, you're, the, total, <laughs> you're the guy. And uh, so you, you really jumped into guitar. You went whole hog in that and... Uh, are there other things in your life that you went into that way, or was that mostly just this whole spiritual trajectory? That uh, pilgrim type of personality is uh, it's a trait I had all my life. And also even, um, yeah, really up until uh, being born again, this has been one of my strategies in life, uh, is that it's better to leave a difficult situation than trying to, to change it. So that's kind of been my, you know, if if it was starting, you know, I either got bored of something or I, uh, you know, I had problems with any people, I just move on to the next thing. It was like that kind of type of a thing. But it was also, uh, and, and this is something that's been a trait in, in my family is that you have this sense, okay, you, you start a new job and then you learn how to do everything. And then as soon as you learn everything and it becomes a routine for one week, then, you know, looking for the next thing. Uh, so I have that in me and that's why I've been an entrepreneur, you know, as my main income for, you know, the last uh, 10 years. Uh, and I love to just start new things and create new things. 
Uh, and uh, so I'm a creator and, and that's what I like to do. Of course, um, now that I'm married uh, and I start to appreciate and learn more about being centered. And, and so I think it's, it's a mix of uh, having a bit of a unhappy times in, in the childhood and being lost. And just that was just my way of, of managing uh, and to not dealing with myself or dealing with other people. I didn't know how to quite deal with my emotions and all of that. Uh, and then it was just easier to just move on to the next thing and just have a lot of fresh starts. Uh, but when it comes to spirituality, that was really a, a hunger to find a, a true peace of mind and also something that I really believed was true. Um, so it took me, you know, for me, it took me to come to the South of Spain into a, you know, into a small international Baptist church. And then for the first time, the leader said, don't trust me, trust this. And he pointed to a Bible. And because before that, it was always, you know, we are the leaders and this is how we do things. But for the first time, it was really everything was going around the type of a, a document, something objective that everybody was driving toward. Uh, so that really grounded me and, and took my spirituality of dedication to a completely new level when I came to that. And since that, I've been uh, pretty grounded, but I'm, I'm still a guy looking for the next thing. I I don't know if I can completely be redeemed of that. And that might be also a strength, but, you know. Well, I was thinking about that, how when you brought up this idea of being the kind of personality that always jumps ship when things get difficult, hmm. but that you tied that to being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur. So it's almost like they're two sides of the same piece of paper. So the one side is a, is a, is a deficit that, you know, needs some work. And the other side is, this is where the strength comes in being able to um, change course when needed and, and look for new opportunities. And um, so as an entrepreneur, is there a particular thing that you've done that you've really enjoyed? Uh, yes. Um, I, you know, I, very early on, I made drawings about things I wanted to start when I got big. You know, I drew uh, restaurants, I drew businesses. And my father, he was a kind of an entrepreneur on the side of being, a, um, uh, you know, he likes to study, like do research, but all the government funding was for like global warming and stuff. So he had to learn to be an entrepreneur to fund his, so he can, uh, you know, do science on those typical these topics he thought it was interesting. So he, so he what, tried to, by the way, what is his research in? Well, he searched uh, research uh, patterns uh, of animals, how they are building these internal maps and how they are moving in nature. Uh, so that can be used for many things, I believe. Uh, and that's just been one of his his deep uh, yeah, passions throughout his life. Yeah. So. Wow. Cool. OK. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's great. He's a very yeah. smart, smart guy in that way. Intellectually, very high IQ type of guy. Um, so uh, so when it comes to being an entrepreneur, I've been looking for ways uh, to do that, to start something. And, and um, I, I started a music school in Norway. Uh, so and when I moved to Barcelona, I just took my music school online and then I started an online school. And then, you know, I just found all kinds of different ways, doing a little bit here and there and just learning a lot about that. And then later on, I just started teaching language too. So I did that. And so basically I've been, you know, making pretty good money working part-time teaching small groups both online and offline and that I had a lot of time to 
to do, take degrees, to work with other things, to take risks, to challenge myself, to go to many conferences, you know, only with my guitar playing. I think I went to Chicago five, time, five times in a row just to learn to be a better guitar player and, and, and music teacher. So that has been an amazing privilege that God have allowed me to explore so much just because that freedom as an entrepreneur gave me. And so that is something also I hope to help help others with uh just to get more freedom, to take more risk, uh, so we can find really find solutions to many of those things that uh, uh, where people are stuck. Yeah, you mentioned that you're an action person, that um, that you enjoy conversations, but you're more of an action person, and that part of the reason that you started your YouTube channel was to um, come up with a plan about how to attack this meaning problem that so many people are having. So you've you've come up with two um, projects that you're working on. So I wonder if maybe you want to talk about those a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm a practical guy. And uh, I like to, whenever I'm learning something, it's like, yeah, but okay, but how can I use this? You know, if there's something I, I can't see an application for, I get very easily, um, if I can't con connect it to a vision. So I really, I'm trying to paint a couple of visions for people so they can move in that direction. That's one of the first questions I ask. If I meet somebody, I say, like, I know, how are you? What's your vision? I just want to know if our visions align because I want to make things that outlives me and I want to make legacies and help other people do the same. So one of these uh, visions uh, is the arts centers. And um, um, the idea there is to help people to understand that beauty really matters and that artists really matters in society, uh, not just to spread the, the polit political uh, propaganda and all of these things, but it has an amazing value for the church uh, and also for society, especially to bring back that wonder and to bring people more uh, into to presence. I, I would say that if you, if you want to live a spiritual life, to live presently and to be aware that that god is is here that is the spiritual abc you know so whatever you're going to do in, in ministry or reading the word or prayer or whatever uh enjoying nature uh having self-control when you get angry whatever it is if you can be aware that that god is here and you're you know you you're talking with god and you're you you do things with god you're going through your life with god that must be the ABC. And I think uh, without becoming a mystic about it, I think that uh, uh, artists are one of the greatest assets for, for actually uh, solving one of the biggest enemies of learning and, and appreciation of the deeper arts and spirituality, which is the small attention spans many people have today. So that might be one of the, the big uh, enemies of finding meaning and purpose is that, you know, if you can't think longer than 15 seconds or whenever it's get a deep conversation, your minds want to go to, a, you know, something else, you never get, really get to the bottom of things, do you? So that's why I think uh, we should uh, encourage more artists uh, to be developed and giving them platforms. So that will be the art center. Uh, so, but we also have a summit. We, we well, had that a couple well, so, of weeks ago. So let's, let's explore the art center a little bit. What, what do you, when you say art center, what specifically kind of thing are you talking about? Yeah, that's a very good question. I, I write it like art center, like uh, the, the more broad term of being a place which encourages the art, which teaches the arts, which, uh, 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 you know, have galleries of art. 
And we're going to start very small, but we're also going to include a cinema. So why do we include a cinema? It's because more and more people now um, are starting to create alternative media just because, you know, we can put on Netflix movies here and it's like every other movie, you know, there's all of these subliminal messages of uh, of wokeness and, you know, different radical messages here and there very sneaky and it gets to me uh, and i think many people don't even notice it but it changes you so you see you have all these new streaming platforms uh, for because people want more beautiful media P people want more beautiful movies doesn't mean it have to be all pretty and and roses and butterflies but it means that a movie which doesn't leave you in the darkness which so many uh, modern tragedies can do uh, so it will be developing a chain of cinemas uh, and it will also be developing um, a, a space, almost like a co-working space where uh, uh, where artists uh, and musicians can uh, uh, teach and there can be discussions after the movies. There can be roundtables just like this, for example, where we can talk about faith. And it's a place where where really we can meet uh, just like this estuary uh, uh, method, for example, you could have conversations like that. I know faith-driven entrepreneurs, they have 10-week uh, uh, free, you know, type of facilitating classes that teach you how to, to be a Christian in the workplace and how to not worship work. And so there's so many ways we can combine this. Uh, and this is not me coming out of something completely new. Most new independent cinemas make their space a multifunctional space. So it's kind of like a independent cinema that also then will have beautiful art and a space for discussions. And we are hoping to make this uh, pop up many places in Europe and in the United mm -hmm. States. Well, uh, there's a, a place fairly near where I live that is a, a mansion that had been owned by some rich person back in the early 19th century. We have quite a few of those in California that have been, um, when the people die, either they leave it to the state or maybe they didn't have any, any heirs. And so the state ends up with it because of taxes or whatever. And they've done various things with these. Some of them are taken over by a women's group to turn it into beautiful gardens and they do stuff in there. This particular one, I don't know if it's the state that runs it or, or um, who runs it. It's called Montalvo. And at Montalvo, uh, they use the property as a place to... Um, somehow they've gotten the funding to invite artists to come and do a residency at the place. And in, uh, in, during their residency, they can live in one of the cottages. They can just spend their time working on their art. And then their art is exhibited in the, in the uh, mansion mm. and they open the grounds so people can come and picnic on the grounds. And then they have concerts behind the place and, but it made me think that, you know, Europe probably has a lot of beautiful, old, rundown, um, beautiful architecture that's not being used for things that um, might be something where they could be picked up for just taxes. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's even a possibility, but it makes such a difference to look at art in a beautiful environment like that rather than in a storefront. Absolutely. And this word that keeps popping up here, Karen, that is holistic experiences. And that, that's an, another, one of the other themes of this art center is to combine music with visual arts. So, for example, I'm a composer and I am 
the way that I will share the first album that we're I'm working on one uh, with now with a producer in Serbia is uh, we'll we'll for the t- ten songs we'll choose ten pieces of art. So you will have an audio tour, and then you come to the piece of art, and then you can listen to part of that song. And there will be maybe some speech, and you can then take a twenty minutes, and then you'll explore a little teaser of each song. And then that will also be connected. So the visual artist and the musician can then come together and then more or less uh, uh, synchronize their work toward a certain message. And then if people want to listen to the whole album, they can then go into the cinema right next door and they can have like a contemplative experience. It will not be an MTV music video where the attention uh, shifts every uh, seven seconds. It will be more like a slow uh, virtual museum uh, tour but you will have the full process of music you will have the, the art pieces zoomed in on and you can be there kind of just experience that in a full sense so that's one way of of, of bringing in more senses and make it more holistically and of course the whole uh, cinema hall uh, will be like a classic a beautiful it's on some of these mansions have their home home cinemas right you can imagine something like that uh, so i really believe that as artists uh, we need to come together and make more holistic experiences like that and that will captivate even those with a very hard heart for beauty you're not looking at this as a like a replacement for the church, but you're looking at it as kind of like a a funnel. <laughs> <laughs> that is an that is an excellent question, and that is something I've been wrestling with for many months. Is um, would this be kind of a, a a bridge so that the church can stay have more integrity, so it doesn't have to contextualize so much that it kind of in lack of a better word, have to dumb down a little bit the or, or go down to to milk or or cream, you know, when he really mm-hmm. many their needs to to eat meat uh, and uh, may, maybe holds back many of those who could have become leaders because it becomes so seeker friendly. Maybe better to make relationships where people are, and then when they have uh, reached some maturity, they can come there as a challenge. Uh, so. Yeah, I see it as a way of uh, where you can form community. And and of course, um, if you see the, the fresh expression movement in the UK of how the Anglican church was able to both keep their traditional institution, but at the same time, um, create churches for specific networks and, and all of that that were interest uh, and were able to really go down to the I would say a New Testament model of it's almost like the house church, you know, the, the small, the groups and and they argue that uh, if this is done properly, this can be a church in itself. That can be church. Uh, where I am in my thinking right now, I haven't gone that far, but definitely there, this can be a space where there can be worship. There can be a contemplative prayer. There can be prayer together. It can be preaching of the word. These things can happen there. Uh, and um, yeah, I think there was... This is a beautiful place for for people who appreciate beauty, uh, where we can explore the impact of that together with uh, with worship. But there's one more reason why I'm so passionate about this, Karen, is that um, since I I come from listening to more simple music to more complex music, like you talked about, then sometimes when I hear some of the modern worship music, I'm thinking, is this really the best we can do? Is this, is this the best oh we got? Oh boy, I'm on your, I'm on your, I'm on your side. On and 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 I gotta say, I believe, just like Joel Pelshew from Arts and Entertainment Ministries uh, in LA, he said, God can redeem people, but He can also redeem 
music styles. So I don't say this music style comes from this place. So it's unredeemable. This music style cannot get a second chance. So I believe, you know, I, I make crossover music. I, I combine classical with gospel or I have a, now a, a, a wonderful uh, um, uh, African-American uh, producer that we're going to look at, you know, how we can combine like really rich classical music with some of these hip hop uh, because it's a great way to 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 share truth and uh, and of course mostly I myself listen to just to pure Bach but for me going there was I, I needed a bridge so also in music um, uh, I think we can build bridges and be more missional about it to get out of this classical is kind of like this elitist thing and as a bubble trying to get more into the world with that type of a beauty and just want to mention one more thing there Karen you said what can maybe we can try to find uh, these uh, old uh, buildings and you know, renovate them and preserve them, you know, and I, I think that's a very, very important work. But what we're trying to do here is kind of, it's a bit different. Just like becoming a Christian is not improving yourself, it's to fundamentally, fundamentally being renewed. So really what we're aiming for is to find something modernistic and very ugly, and then make this into a beautiful place. So we, we want to find a place where nobody wants to be, which is dry, which was made out of ideology and not out of cost, which keeps your you unconscious when you look at it because it makes you stressful. So it doesn't you don't want to want to be present there. So I think it's a very smart way of not making people present of God. Uh, and uh, we want to make that beautiful. So even it has a contrast if we can. Um, so so that's the strategy both with the music with the art centers and also with what we call the church square renewal center, which is the long-term goal is to actually have a synergy of businesses, take a very ugly modernistic uh, failed type of area in a city and make a beautiful square and have these different, you know, cinema and art center and church and restaurants coming together all in beautiful style and make a place where we can be a community centric and, uh, and uh, show uh, really how the life of the church can come together with that community and really contribute to it. I think if the church loses its contribution to beauty, there's many people who could have respected the church a lot, which really loses that connection. And that is a big problem. That's such a terrific idea to go yeah. into the the Soviet era block buildings and <laughs> turn them into something beautiful, you know, um, that's an extraordinary idea but mm. all of this of course costs money so how on earth are you going about um funding this kind of a thing that is the problem that people haven't solved and i've been praying and thinking and discussing about this a long time to crack exactly that problem karen and i think i found a solution so i put on your seatbelts here uh this is ambitious <laughs> but it is also rational i would say so I know that one of the main problems with churches right now is that they are not able to plant them into the places that needs them the most, which is in the urban areas, right? Because it just costs too much and people uh, cannot really, um, uh, you know, can't really defend that type of, uh, of investment in many cases. So what can we do? Well, I've been looking at posters, commercials around Europe, especially around Europe, and, uh, but I think a lot of that can be applied to United States too. What is the place which each city really says, this is our city? 
This is the place we're most proud of. This is the place all the tourist comes to. This is the place where people want to spend the most time and where you can rent out, have the highest rent for all the businesses. Almost always, it's that beautiful old church square. You just just be aware of it. You will see it's all over the place in South America. Also, whenever they make a commercial for a place, you will always see the church square somewhere in that picture. So if faith-driven entrepreneurs can come together, people who have, have are not only looking for a return of investment financially, but also return of investment socially and spiritually can come together and uh, then develop a synergy of these businesses and say, you know what, if we actually don't build as high and as tight as possible, but we actually give some room here. And, you know, the church will only, you know, highlight the 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 um, the chance for this place being sustained over a long period of time. It, it's harder to kind of make it into this, this Soviet corner if it's a church there and, uh, you know, all of that. So just to make it sustainable, make it a place where you can grow a community over a long period of time, it makes sense that you can include a church there. So what will happen then, Karen, is that these businesses can then pay for the real estate of the church so that the church doesn't have to pay more rent to be in the in a really great, inspiring central location because they are bringing a lot of food traffic to the businesses. And I, I, I through the, the presentations I'm making now for investors, I am convinced that it will easily pay for itself for the investors. It will be sustainable to being able to give a very low rent for, for the church to be there by them, uh, uh, by all the traffic and all the community that will be created. So we hope to make these church squares, uh, which is bigger urban uh, uh, city development projects. Uh, so I believe that that can work, but we need to reduce risk. And that's why we start with the small art centers where we have a little restaurant maybe, you know, with a little bit snacks. We're learning to build restaurants. We're learning to build cinema. We're learning to build music school. We're building, learning to maybe sell antiques, things like that. And then this can then, with uh, with proof of concept, be building pieces in the bigger urban developments over time. Well, we certainly have an example of that here in the Bay Area. <clears throat> I, you know, you said you spent some time in San Francisco, so you know where San Jose is, which is south of San Francisco, and I live kind of halfway in between. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> there have been a lot of big developments done over the last um, thirty years that I've lived here, hmm. and. One of the developments that they put up, and I think it was maybe 20 years ago, is a place called Santana Row. Mm -hmm. And Santana Row is beautiful architecture. It's mainly uh, condos and apartment buildings, but then on the main floor, they have businesses. Mm -hmm. But they they made space for a central plaza in the middle of, of this whole area. And the central plaza is just beautiful. And they even planted a little... It looks like a beautiful old medieval chapel, but they use it as a wine bar. I mean, it, it, it's a brand new building that they put in there, but it's just beautiful. And the whole place just has this atmosphere and it's thriving. It's constantly filled with people. Since then, there have been four or five other developments equally as big as that, which are just rows and rows and rows and rows of apartment complexes. And they, they, have some storefronts, but mainly the main level is parking structures and you have to, so it's just all these big parking bays with a few stores in between. They're so ugly and hopeless. 
And I keep thinking, how could these developers have looked at Santana Row and seen the thriving, beautiful community that's developed there and still go and take their money and build this other thing? I mean, it's it's really startling that this kind of thing can happen. And then about 10 years ago, somebody finally got smart and built enough. It's more modern than Santana Row. The architecture is more modern, but at least they built it around a square. And that place is just packed all the time. It's just apartments, but on the main floor of the apartments, there's there's room to rent out to lots of different um, food kiosks and coffee shops and that kind of thing. And then they have the square. And if you have a square, then once a week, you can bring in some live music and that gathers community. And um, But those are the only two places in this whole area. And all of the rest of them are just these nonsensical big box buildings. Um, so I think there are entrepreneurs who, if they could see what kind of success can come out of being smart about these things, you know, that there would be some investment available for that. So that's a pretty cool idea. I'm, I'm really glad that you like it. And uh, I think the reason for many of these uh, very dehumanizing areas is ideology. It's, uh, it's not mm -hmm. really functionalism. They have taken a lot of these concepts as functionalism and they just they have a different dictionary and because they believe the, that truth is relative they can find up all kinds of uh, stories around there so people go around looking with their ears right they're looking and they feel you know but then they hear the story and so they're really reacting to a a story uh, instead of really dealing with reality and uh, in scandinavia uh, statistics shows that uh, about 75% of the population in modern Scandinavia, in Norway, prefer classical architecture. And about, you know, no, more probably more 90 or 95% of everything new that's built is just these profit boxes that you don't know if it's the workers' box, you know, temporary boxes or if it's actually a house they're going to build there. And uh, there's a big uprising now called the Architectural Uprising, which is gaining there in media all over the place now in Europe. Uh, and there is there's million, over a million now probably. All the groups that I've seen, uh, this keep popping up new ones from all kinds of countries even down in syria they're having architectural pricing now um because they are destroying cultural heritage with this modernist ideology which want to break with uh, tradition but the good news is that it cannot be sustained and i think it's it's cracking in so many art areas of society right now and now it's a time that we become more strategic about what will be the next uh, i think it's the same thing with uh, uh, christian worship music it's a uh, People are now looking for more older liturgies. There is a big uh, movement for, you know, uh, in the conservative direction for truth and reformation and many of these things because people kind of this type of modern evangelicalism has become a bit superficial. Many of the young people are looking for something deeper. So that is why I say... Um, I hope to to help more composers to be more creative. So instead of the musical, the the music commercial music industry deciding what type of you know music that will be very popular and used, why don't the the the, the talented genuine Christians that have studied some theology helped more in small communities to develop new arrangements, new compositions? It doesn't make any sense. I come from a church which has the be old beautiful hymns, and I I love that. I I just love those, but it doesn't make sense 
that the Holy Spirit isn't inspiring new beautiful music right here today. That's part of the worship. So when you're say, when you're not using the creative talent in the churches, you're basically removing a great opportunity for many of those creatives, which otherwise maybe feel a bit frustrated with all the uh, uh, more intellectual type of side of uh, spirituality. Um, uh, and you're not giving them opportunity to, to start loving God because usually we love people that we do things for more than those who do th something for us. So we got to get people in action. And I really believe that uh, if we can work side by side with believers and non-believers, that's just a great way to start loving more uh, God also. Well, I'll have to, I'll, I'll send you some information about a couple of musicians that I know that are working on this kind of thing. One of them that comes to mind right now is Dirt Poor Robbins. Um, Neil DeGrade and his wife are a group called Dirt Poor Robbins, which is an interesting name, right? But yeah. they just released a new album yesterday and uh, extraordinary. They they use a lot of visual art along with the music and it's very, uh, very contemporary, but very um, beautiful and interesting and deep. So um, there Powerful. are people out there doing that. So um what kind of response have you had from these investors that you've talked to? Right now, we're going to start a crowdfunding campaign in two weeks. And, uh, and the thing about investors is that you need to show that you already have some support. Uh, so I've been talking with uh, a Christian uh, investor company in the United States, which has a network all over the world. And, and he has said, you, you know, Magnus, if you give me a 10 slide pitch deck, I will help you to look good. But before that happens, and also before you can get on the marketplace of faith-driven investor, to be allowed to have your uh, investment case there, you need to show that you already have a little bit support uh, from people around you, just to kind of uh, have a, you know, a little bit of a needle eye you have to go through there. Um, so we're going to have a month of crowdfunding. Uh, we already had a, a big, you know, a summit for Ideal Classical Teaching Summit. Uh, we had giveaway. Now we're going to have crowdfunding. We're going to have a new summit for classical musicians. And all of this is then give, bringing awareness around this project. And then when we do have more support, we can then go to the investors, uh, which will be a process we will do later this year. And then uh, I hope we can we can find a good team. We can work over time, uh, and that this can be an opportunity also to uh, make more tent makers, just like mm -hmm. Paul in the Bible that was supporting their own ministry. And I think also there are big uh, uh, changes happening also in the funding of ministers uh, that is happening uh, and we need to think uh, about uh, sustainable models there as well and, and I really believe that uh, what the faith-driven entrepreneurs are um, are suggesting is a great way to where we can uh, have um, uh, get them a lot more closer for the the uh, uh, the goals we need for uh, evangelizing you know all the nations of the world so um so it, I live in a very, very exciting time these days. Uh, it's only self-control that contains my excitement right now. Uh, but uh, uh, can you tell I, I really me more? Believe... Can you tell me yeah. more about the classical music summit that you said you have coming up? That's right. That's right. So this will be together with. Um, I'm I'm speaking now with a wonderful uh, classical composer, conductor, uh, and tenor, and and teacher in Vienna. Uh, called Alexander Blesching, Blesinger. And uh, he has, for 20, 30 years, done a project called Harmonia Classica, uh, which is a contest 
only for new beautiful music and he has really been battling a lot of the ugly music uh, and uh, he says that things are changing he says now it's harder to sell concert tickets for the ugly music uh, and uh, and it's it's a renewed interest in beauty there so he's hopeful so what we want to do we want to play create a new uh, classical uh, like a composer school really to bring again here building bridges, bringing believers and uh, uh, non-believers together, coming together for beauty to create new beautiful music. You know, it's great to play Bach, all of that, but we want to create new beautiful music and, and that's just part of the, the contest he already been doing, but we want to then help more systematically create community, give people feedback and all the things that I've been lacking as a composer, you know, for the last uh, seven or eight years after I came to Christ and I started listening to music in my mind, just that come very quickly after I was born again. And I think I have stewardship over that. But I've been very frustrated because you, in one way, you're a bit rejected by the church. They don't know quite don't know what to do with you and your creativity. And then you go out to the world and then, you know, you're classical, you're irrelevant or you're even, a, you know, whatever you uh, name you, names you can get and you can feel very alone as somebody who is want to create something new and beautiful so we want to make a, a, a community and I, I don't want to give you the exact date right now when we will have the next summit uh, that will specifically be for composers and teachers and classical musicians to to support a classical revival within music uh, but uh, um, I'll keep you posted uh, so you can look out for that uh, but it will be on the, the page togetherforbeauty.com so that we have a series of different initiatives there and that is also a marketplace initiative that's the full name is Together for Beauty Marketplace and Karen why do I call it that because a lot of these movements happening now saying politicians allow these modernist buildings uh, the 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 modernist painters, blah, 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 doing this and that. But really, who, who's to blame? It is the consumer. It's the consumer that buys yeah. this ugly stuff. It's the consumer that doesn't live by principle. It's the consumer that's a hypocrite. So really, it's great to use these strategic uh, uh, methods that's happening now. You know, it's really actually affecting elections in Scandinavia now. Who, who wants to build what type of architecture? But we need to really be looking inside. So we want to make an initiative called Boycott Modernism Day. Uh, and this is not to become a fanatic about it, but it just means that for every two modernist, for every one modernist place you go to, or for every modernist thing you criticize, then cheer on two beautiful pieces or arts or places. Or for every one modernist hotel you go to to save a little buck, just use a little bit more and have a beautiful experience of some of these authentic hotels. And you might not, my mate may be fine that if your family time will be more rich, you will have more peace if you actually can start to appreciate beauty more. So we are, we are developing an app. We already have a Facebook group together for Beauty Marketplace, but we're going to develop an app that will help to bridge together the artists and the musicians to do more initiatives. Because one of the ways to overcome the temptations, like you said in the beginning, for modern artists to kind of sell, the, sell their souls to the devil and just, I, I want to get my big break in the gallery, so I'm going to check all these boxes and I'm going to do all this ugly and provoking stuff. Um, if instead, for example, artists can get commissioned directly by architecture firms, because that's the big mother of change here, is if we can change architecture, this will also commi commission a lot of work for classical craftspeople, classical artists, 
there will be a new renewed interest for classical music with the openings and in that neighborhood. So that's why everybody should really be fighting for a more humanizing architecture, because that can really explode the revival that we're already seeing. That's terrific. Yeah, I really like that. Um, is there any last thing that you'd like to talk about? I would like to say that um, there's a there's a second chance for everybody. There is there is nobody who is not welcome when it comes to to God. And if God for you is somebody that you can't relate to, or that's something that you just you can't understand the faith that people have. I would consider spending more time presently with beauty and just understand that the beauty is not contained in the objects. It only comes through them. And this was something C.S. Lewis has pointed out, but this will, this will point your attention to something very big. And I heard some modernist artist actually says that that feeling that beauty gives is unbearable. And that's why they try to avoid it. So I would say, if you if you you know if you really felt that your heart haven't been able to you know you haven't really broken through you're in a point in a love you're stuck spiritually that um, spend some time in in museums or classical music uh, or just uh, you know can be nature and try to really be present and uh, and see how that might lead you toward a deeper reality if you're you know a more vital spiritual life or how that will actually to to start to really transform and convict you in ways that you didn't even thought was possible i would never think if nobody i don't think one person in the world would believe that i would ever become a christian or that i would ever become somebody who would be uh, like a facilitator of classical beauty you know i had i was a ramones haircut or, or that or long hair and tight jeans and smoking cigarettes or joints and just you know laying on the floor in my own puke i was i was that kind of a guy so if it is hope for me and my life is so much more filled with joy now uh then it's it's hope for everybody so i hope uh i hope that's a really the message i want to end with this has been an absolute delight uh, Magnus, and I just thank you so much that you're willing to join us. I'm really excited about your project and I hope you keep us updated and maybe you can come back in six months and tell us how things are going. That will be a pleasure. It's been a great privilege, uh, Karen. Uh, like I have mentioned to you, I think that you are uh, a great, what I call a gap filler, that you really see a, a very important need in the society we're, we're living in right now. And these type of discussions is part of that puzzle. And I hope also to be a part of that puzzle and that more people can help to find a holistic strategy and come together. So I'm looking forward to update you again. And uh, um, also... Please reach out if anybody wants to uh, discuss with me on, you know, just send a message on Beauty and the Faith on, on Instagram or contact beautyandthefaith.com and have a discussion with me if it's about faith or you're an entrepreneur, investor or artist or whatever. Uh, if I'm wrong, let me know. If I'm right, let me know. And I, I'm just really looking forward to make uh, relationships. That sounds terrific. Thank you so much. And you have a wonderful day. I guess it's nighttime for you. So yeah, it's about <laughs> six o'clock in, in Spain now. Yeah, six <laughs> o'clock in Spain now. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.